Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Accelerator Podcast, where we outrun normal. Today, I'm excited as your host, Monty King, my friend, Dr. Mark Manera, is on the show. He's the CEO and founder of Supply Chain Fitness. Mark, how are you doing? I'm doing really well, man. I'm so excited for this conversation. I'm really honored that you invited me on, and uh, you know, it's always good to talk to Monty King. Man, I appreciate that. You've been all over the place. Uh, you've been speaking at different events. You've been on different podcasts. Uh, I'm very thankful and grateful to have you uh, on as a guest on our show. Uh, and I'm excited to just talk about fitness in general. So yeah. let's get started. Before we start talking about um, supply chain fitness and what you're doing today, I I'd love to dive in and, and dig in a little bit into your backstory. So from your earliest memory, tell me about when fitness, you became aware of the benefits and that it was important. Okay. So earliest, earliest memories was in junior high. Uh, so my parents are divorced and I grew up living at my mom's house, went to my dad's house, you know, on the Wednesdays and every other weekend and stuff like that. But my dad, uh, when I was in junior high, would come pick me up and we'd go to the YMCA together. And, you know, we'd go lift, he'd show me some stuff and, and it got me into the gym. And the other thing was before school, if I went with him to the YMCA, we'd go through the Hardee's drive through and I'd get a chicken biscuit as breakfast, <laughs> as a little bulk up, uh, <laughs> carb up and some protein after the workout. And I just, you know, I loved it. And it was, you know, I was hanging out with my dad. I was going to the gym and, uh, you know, I was. I was always a little bit of a husky kid, but also pretty scrawny. So like there was like a weird, like I wasn't husky, but like big and tall, like, okay, this dude's going to be a football player. But um, yeah, but, and then I, I kind of, as I got older was a little scrawnier, but uh, that kind of evolved and, and my life growing up was baseball. I, I wanted to be Albert Pujols, born and raised in St. Louis, uh, big Cardinals fan, big, uh, you know, Albert Pujols was my hero. And uh, I got into high school, started playing baseball freshman year. Um, and that was the first time really in the weight room with the baseball team, with my teammates that was like, oh, man, this is awesome. This is really cool. It's a fun environment. Um, but I also remember, uh, you know, getting there and we were doing pull-ups. And I was one of two people in the whole all three, you know, you've got varsity, junior varsity, and freshman team. I was one of two people of that whole group who couldn't do a pull-up, so their friend had to hold their legs. And so it was like a very humbling moment, and it was like, oh, man, okay, this is something I have to work towards. And so, you know, that freshman year in high school, it was kind of really getting into the gym, really enjoying baseball, and then kind of as time went on, enjoying the gym aspect more than the on-the-field aspect of baseball. And um, I went to a school, really large school, of my graduating class was 650. Um, and so it was really competitive and really starting to realize it was my time in life where I wasn't going to be Albert Pujols. And uh, I was, uh, you know, either going to, you know, make a lot of sacrifice with the baseball team, which was, would have been fine, but really um, realizing that the love of it was more in the weight room and the working out stuff. And so that uh, from a family friend, I kind of got done with baseball and started doing CrossFit, which I got really competitive in. And so throughout high school and undergrad, I was, well, uh, first couple of years of undergrad and in college, I was wanted to be rich froning. I wanted to be the number one CrossFitter in the world. And um, that 
when I was in high school, uh, both my parents are optometrists, eye doctors. And so I kind of knew, I saw that background of, you know, I wanted to be in the medical field, but I didn't want to stare at eyes all day. Um, and so I said, you know, hey, uh, I love fitness. I love, you know, I want to be in the medical field. Physical therapy is a great fit. And so that's what I ended up going into PT school. Awesome, awesome. So you started out with your father in middle school. Was that more of lifting or, you know, because there's strength training and then there's like cardio training. Yeah. So there, there's a big difference from my limited understanding. Have you just always been strength, I guess, is what I'm asking, at, uh, asking about, or has cardio also been a part of it? Uh, so you'll, you'll never, I was never on the cross country team. That's for sure. Um, but, uh, okay, well, there you go. So I'm lucky I skipped that, uh, learning lesson. I'm just kidding. Um, but, uh, it was, it was lifting. Um, and, and I got into it with CrossFit. Uh, you know, it's very much a cardiovascular base, uh, exercise as well, um, with, with some resistance training, but my love has always been into, into, um, the, the lifting side of things. I've always really liked barbell strength training, uh, personally. Um, and that's been something I really enjoy doing. I still do that. And that was actually after CrossFit kind of moving into more of the powerlifting and weightlifting world, um, where I got into coaching for the first time. So, so yeah. So, so then, Take me back to your freshman year through your senior year of high school, where you couldn't even do a pull-up without a spotter to your senior year. What benefits did you notice as you began to gain more and more strength over time? So individually, right, but also your performance on the field. Yeah. So I only played baseball freshman year. Um, so cool. after my freshman year, I decided to go all in on just the working out and weightlifting stuff. Um, and so, you know, the biggest difference for me, a hundred percent, and I think this is still a huge aspect of my confidence is just being able to walk up a little bit taller, puff my chest out and just feel a little bit more confident. Um, you know, growing up the, not the tallest guy in the world, not the, you know, biggest, uh, you know, a little bit scrawny, um, putting some muscle on and, you know, kind of going through the process of strength training, I think was a huge mental confidence booster for me. And, you know, people in front, you know, in friends say, oh, Mark, you're getting some muscle on there, you know, like just, you know, some razzing from your friends, but then maybe, you know, uh, you know, girls maybe looking at it a little bit as well. And, and uh, so, you know, I think it was a big confidence booster. And um, I think, you know, that is something, especially, you know, as, um, you know, someone's growing up, getting into the gym the first time and exercising or, or even kind of going through that weight loss process. I think that's a huge um, aspect of it that's not talked about. So what, you know, you, you're obviously aware of fitness from an early age, right? So you got to spend that time with your dad, became aware of fitness, and then it took you through, you know, your, your um, doctorate degree, which is awesome. Yeah. What triggered the difference from you being aware to it becoming your passion that you wanted to invest in other people because of the benefits that, that you saw? Can you remember something, a, a specific moment where you're like, this is, this is what I want to do and this is why I want to do it and tell me about that? 
Yeah, that's an interesting question that I have never been asked. So I'll give you that process. That's a that's a that's a good one. Um, I would say so. I think the biggest thing for me was I was when I was an undergrad. Uh, uh, I was at a different CrossFit gym because uh, I, I went off to school. So I was at a different CrossFit gym. Um, uh, basically, I grew up in Illinois on the Illinois side of the river in St. Louis. Um, yep. but then I went, uh, on the other side of the river for school about 45 an hour, uh, an hour away. And so I was at another CrossFit gym getting, you know, getting good friends and, and kind of getting into the physical therapy world as well through school. And there was a gym in the same town of that I was going to CrossFit at that, um, was a barbell strength gym that was owned by a physical therapist who went to my school. And uh, I got introduced to him and it was kind of like one of those first times where it's like, oh, wait, as a physical therapist, you don't just have to get a job in a clinic and like, you know, work, you know, work as a as, as a PT or traditional PT or go to a hospital or go to a nursing home or, you know, there's so many different ways, but you could you could be a physical therapist in the gym. And so I went and actually uh, um just followed him around, interned there for a couple of months. Um, it was a it was a newer gym, so I got in there at the beginning, uh, like you know, probably two months into him opening up. And uh, you know, school you know, the year goes on, summer comes around, and his family's going on a trip, and he's like, "Hey, Mark, uh, do you want to coach some classes this week? Uh, you you know, you've been you've been coaching with us all this time, and." Uh, that was my first coaching experience. Uh, and I, you know, got paid for it. And, you know, I think the, the other big aspect that initially came in my head when you first asked the question was, you know, I think growing up and as a, also while in undergrad and, and through school, um, there's very few times that people, you are an expert and you are the person people go to and talk to. And in that setting, I felt as though, Oh, I know more than these people. I can help them. And I've always been someone who's really good at um, both the empathy side of coaching and, and meeting people where they're at, but also breaking down really complex topics and speaking in plain, uh, you know, in, in plain English, if you want to put it that way, where someone can understand. And especially with some of the weightlifting and, and some of the technique side of things, um, there's a lot of things that can go over people's head if you want to just make them feel really dumb and, and, you know, you know, have like the science of it and talking about the physics of, you know, this body part, this, you know, all, all of these different things. And so I've always just been really good at, at meeting people where they're at and talking to them. Oh man, that that's, I, I want to repeat that because that was really powerful. Like talk about meeting people where they are, because to your point, you could scare people away yeah. and it could be the best thing for them. Uh, that ever happened to them, it, it could have an you know, eternal impact on their life um, if you speak above where they are. And it's not that you're trying to you know, downgrade anybody or anything like that um, or talk down to anyone. But, uh, man, that that was powerful. I, I love that you said that, meeting them where they are to get them where they want to be, which is awesome. So it sounds like in that opportunity where you stepped up to lead a session, you found out that you had a passion to serve other people and help educate them on everything you'd learned, learned up to that point. Uh, am I on the right track with that? 
Yeah. I mean, so when I, the first time I coached, I was, you know, probably five years into kind of my fitness journey. So it was kind of like, uh, you know, years and years of, of, uh, you know, making some dumb mistakes and then doing some dumb things as, as all high school students who, uh, get into the gym and, and have a little bit of an ego do, uh, but, you know, making some of that. And, and then also just kind of, uh, through the undergrad and, and my physical therapy uh, program specifically was, it's different than most physical therapy programs where, you know, the traditional physical therapy program is you go to undergrad, you graduate with a kinesiology degree or, or a biology degree or, you know, a health science degree, and then you apply to grad school. Well, the school I went to, Maryville University, is a six and a half year direct out of high school. So you get in, all you have to do is keep a 3.0 GPA or something like that. And you just follow the six and a half years. They tell you what to do. You know, early on, there's some, you know, there's some things that you can choose on and off. But with that, I felt as though, um, you know, I was already in the physical therapy program. I was kind of learning about the profession, kind of getting into, you know, um, me as a clinician and, and wanting to be like that. And it, it, you know, the experience in the, in the gym coaching people, especially with, you know, the owner and the head coach under or over me was a physical therapist. Also, I felt as though like I was already in the professional um, setting. I was working with people and I wasn't even out of school and um, you know, years down the road, huge advantage when it came to me versus some of the other classmates that I were in my class who didn't have that experience actually working with people, um, just kind of doing other things or odd jobs throughout uh, undergrad. So, so yeah, yeah, I would say uh, that's kind of where it sparked my passion to helping people. So then let's, let's transition to talking about just helping people in general. What triggered you to target the transportation industry, specifically truck drivers? Take me back to that moment when you're like, man, these people need help and I need to help them. Yeah. So I was in a out, I was working as a physical therapist in an outpatient physical therapy clinic in a small town south of St. Louis called Bonterre. That area, I mean, just the whole country has a lot of trucking that goes through it, right? Obviously. But that area specifically, a little bit more rural, had some a lot of drivers in the area that lived, um, and there was a couple of uh, you know trucking companies that were headquartered around that area. And so, through my time at that clinic, I had the opportunity to actually work one on one with um, a bunch of truck drivers, and it was kind of my first experience. Uh, you know, obviously, everyone knows what a truck driver does from the cultural standpoint, but that was really my first experience um, getting to know a driver personally talking to them, spending a lot of time. Have you been to physical therapy before? I have, yes. Okay. So, you know, for everyone out there who hasn't, you know, it's not like going to your MD where, you know, you're in and out in five minutes and that's kind of the whole conversation. I actually, you know, you get to spend time with them and I got to know them on a personal level. Some of them I considered my friend and, you know, just really getting to know them. And there was one driver in particular um, who I was working with who had just had a total knee replacement. Um, he 37 years out on the road, all OTR, um, diabetic, overweight. He was obese, but they made him lose weight just to get the procedure because if you don't and you go in and you're very out of shape and unhealthy and have one of those types of procedures, the, the likelihood of success is much lower than someone who has a lower weight and is kind of in the, 
in the process of, of exercising more, moving more and, and losing weight. Um, and so had the opportunity to, to get to know this guy, really hear about his life on the road, probably hear some big fish stories that were a little bit more exaggerated in the clinic, but I, I enjoyed them. I, I laughed and, uh, you know, heard about some of the sacrifices he made on a day-to-day basis throughout the 37 years with, you know, his five kids and his family. But I also heard how much he loved trucking Um, and kind of as time goes on, you know, something that I always asked people during the rehab process was, you know, hey, what do you do for exercise? What do you like to do for fitness? Because, you know, my goal is as a rehab person to get them back to doing that or, you know, the end goal would be to get them even, you know, moving even faster. Right. And and go and doing more. Um, and you know, the typical person when I'd ask that is, ah, yeah, I should probably be doing more than I am. Or yeah, my doctor asked me the same thing. I get it. But when I, when I asked this guy, um, the response was, I'm a trucker. We don't do that. And it was like this, this mindset and this, uh, you know, mental identity of because I'm a truck driver, I can't exercise. I can't be healthy. You know, I've got the odds stacked up against me and it's kind of part of the job description. And, you know, it wasn't like this huge aha moment in that moment when I, when I said that, but, uh, or when I heard that, but it was kind of like one of those, wait a second moments where you just kind of remember it. Cause it's like not a typical response. And so I always, um, I always, I'm kind of, I'm entrepreneurial by spirit. Uh, that's just, it's in my blood. And I, you know, like to kind of riff and throw business ideas out there to people. And, you know, when we were in the clinic and there was, a, you know, with the total knee replacement, especially early on, there's a lot of time where I, I'm holding his knee and I'm stretching him, right? I'm making sure his joint gets back to full range of motion. And uh, so I'm just kind of riffing and like, well, wait a second. What if there was like a way that we could like have an app on your phone where, you know, it tell you exercises you could do in the truck or gives you, you know, healthy options at the truck stop. And his eyes like lit up. And he was like, I've never heard of anything like that. Is that possible? And so later that night, um, I'm, I'm also a little bit of a research nerd. And so I dug a little bit deeper into the literature and the research on driver's health because, you know, I've seen multiple drivers at that point saw, you know, uh, looking back, all of them were overweight or obese. A majority of them had diabetes as well. And just really shocked by some of the stats that I saw on, you know, seven out of 10 drivers are obese. You know, one in every seven have type two diabetes, which is two times more than the national average. And then the shocking stat to me was that as a truck driver, your life expectancy is 16 years less than the average population. 16 years. And you know, I, I just don't, you know, deep down in my core, don't think anyone's career should define their health, mm-hmm. but, you know, seeing it in the clinic, seeing those stats now being, you know, years into the industry, I honestly think that's exactly what's happening for a lot of drivers. And it's really sad. And I think when we see some of these stats, we take it from a human level and see some of these, you know, experiences and, and the struggles that drivers live, you know, in trucking and after trucking um, with their health how can we ignore it anymore? Right. And so I was in that moment thinking through that, having that entrepreneurial itch, really seeing a gap in the industry for driver specific help, both from an exercise, uh, you know, coaching and resources standpoint and nutrition uh, resources that really met drivers where they're at, right. Comes back to that and spoke directly to them. And I said, okay, Hey, I think I can fill this gap. And so that, all of those things collaborate. And I say, Hey, I'm going to start uh, what was called the trucking fitness company and now uh, supply chain fitness. 
So supply chain fitness fills the gap of the transportation industry's fitness levels. So that's awesome. But it, it, out of all that, that's that's kind of what I took. I mean, and I love the in that moment whenever you ask that question to that guy and his response. You know, all the things I'm sure that you were thinking about in that moment, you went to, well, what if there was a way? Yeah. And seeing his response sort of sparked this journey. Man, that's awesome because it's just little moments like that that change the trajectory of the future and can impact generations. So let's talk about supply chain fitness. That's perfect. I, that, what an awesome story on the development to get you where today, where you are today. Yeah. You know, well, and, and off of that, I was going to say, you know, I always look at like, I think that there's, I think there's two types of people in the world. There's people when they look at a problem that says, Oh shoot. Okay. We can't do anything about it. Or there's people that said, all right, Hey, there's a solution here. And let's just, you know, take a step back and think outside the box and let's come up with something. Uh, and so I, I always try to lean towards that side because, uh, you know, I'm a little bit more of a cup half, uh, full, type of person and I'm optimistic and uh, that's the way I like to look at the world. So yeah, I agree. That's, Let's talk about it. Yeah. That, that's awesome. And again, you know, for the accelerator podcast, we, we try to outrun normal. We got to break those cycles. And, and a lot of it too, in the transportation industry, in my opinion is a lot of, you know, owners, drivers, whoever, whoever's in it, whatever your role is, you don't know what you don't know. Yep. Right. So here, is a solution, especially for those drivers who sit for their entire career, basically, while they're driving for the most part. So that that's awesome. So let, let's get into supply chain fitness today. Um, I, I love your post about uh, it, not only the exercises, but also how you try to encourage healthy eating habits as well. And one of the quotes that I read in one of your, your posts that it impacted me for whatever the reason. And I think about it all the time is you said, stop drinking your calories. And I, it just it really just, it, it hit me some kind of way, right? That, I guess that's the best way to put it. It hit me at the right time, at the right place. Tell me a little bit more about that. What, what prompted that or what's your experience and let's share that with whoever may be listening right now and, and talk about how we drink our calories and why does that even matter? Yeah. So I think the first thing I'll say is, um, you know, if you enjoy a drink that has calories, as I'm hypocritically drinking my morning coffee that has calories, there's I nothing mean, wrong. Well, I don't know. I, I put a little uh, 1% milk in there as well. So, you know, maybe <laughs> 25 to 50 calories for the drink. Um, and so I think, uh, you know, the, the preface that I'll put with this whole conversation is you don't have to hate your life to live a healthy one. And there's mm -hmm. balance and moderation. And um, two nights ago on Halloween, I ate three Rice Krispie treats uh, and there's nothing wrong with it. Right. Um, but that being said, um, I think that there's a lot of opportunities and I look at someone when I'm starting with someone and, and starting, you know, the, starting the whole process of trying to live a healthier life. One of the things that, you know, the, the principle that I say is you don't have to take this all or nothing approach. And I think a lot of people fail with their diet or they fail with their healthy lifestyle because it's this mentality of, 
all right, I'm starting it tomorrow. I'm cutting X, Y, Z out. I'm not even looking at, you know, this, you know, I'm not even looking at desserts or carbs or anything that even, you know, has sugar in it or whatever it is. And you set yourself up from day one to, you know, uh, hold on for dear life for about a week and then fall off to back to normal. And, you know, it's this nonstop yo-yoing of on, off, on, off, on, off. And for a lot of people, if you just say, okay, let me look at my average day. There's typically a couple of low-hanging fruits there where you can make a couple of adjustments that don't really dramatically change your lifestyle a crazy amount. And you start making progress and you building up some small wins. And, you know, that's why we take a habit-based approach. But for the drinking, uh, drinking your calories uh, specifically, there was a driver. So every driver that we work with, every member that we work with at, the, at Supply Chain Fitness, we do a one-on-one onboarding call. And during that onboarding call, I said, you know, hey, what, you know, looking at your day, where do you feel like is, you know, the biggest thing that you're motivated to make a change on? And he told me that every single day while driving down the road, he drinks two 12 packs of Pepsi. 24. I didn't even know that was possible. I, I seriously, I don't even know if it's possible, but that's what he told me. That's what he does. 24 sodas times 40 grams of sugar times however many calories. Regardless, this dude's drinking thousands of calories a day, even if it's not 24 sodas, he's drinking a lot of soda. And uh, when you are diabetic and overweight and wanting to control your A1C levels, control, you know, get lower your, uh, you know, lower your weight and get down to a healthier lifestyle, drinking that much soda is a huge barrier and it's going to be really difficult to do that. And so all we did and all we focused on was over a couple of weeks and months was shifting to some zero-calorie beverages that started with a diet soda, uh, that started with other zero-calorie beverages, that started with some water, and we just started, you know, it wasn't day one, let's change everything. It was, all right, let's go from, you know, 24 to, you know, whatever, 20, or slowly cutting down. And um, now, you know, after months later, he doesn't drink soda anymore. He's from that one change, he lost a bunch of weight. He was feeling more energized. His blood crazy. His blood sugar is better. Um, and it was just from that one change. It wasn't this huge meal flip. You know, it wasn't this meal plan that he changed everything. It wasn't this huge workout routine that we started. We just started small on one thing that he was motivated and felt to him as the low hanging fruit. And so that's kind of where a lot of drivers, when they're driving down the highway, have their Mountain Dew, their Dr. Pepper, their their pop that they're sipping on all day. They get it from Loves or TA and, you know, uh, it's sometimes boring behind the wheel and you need something and some people smoke, some people have a drink that they do, some people have a bag of Doritos, right? But a lot of people have something that their hands are doing throughout the day just to, you know, m keep from the mindless, uh, you know, wander of being behind the windshield. And so uh, one of the things that we try to get drivers to do is, you know, if your thing is drinking, that's fine. Let's, but let's, you know, have some healthier options and let's choose some different things. And so that's kind of where that was sparked. Um, again, I, I don't think you have to do that, but I think there's a balance point. And I think in general, um, Calories from drinks don't satisfy you as well as calories from food that you eat. And so if your thing is trying to cut down the amount of calories you're consuming and wanting to be satisfied and not have, you know, your stomach growling all day, drinking your calories is not nearly as good as if you're chewing and, and you're eating food that has a little bit more substance.
Yeah, spot spot on on all of that, and that's good stuff. And and I'm just curious with, let's talk about schedules, right? Because whether we like it or not, or whether we know it or not, we're all on some sort of schedule. Um, and does it matter when you eat, not just what you're eating or consuming? Does it matter when you're exercising, uh, et cetera? Can you speak to schedules and then let's apply that to a driver schedule, right? Because that's a little bit different than than just the average person. If you want to be Arnold Schwarzenegger, the schedule of meals and stuff matters a lot more than if you just want to live a healthy life. Mm. And so what I would say is that's step 9, 10, 11, 12. That's something, in my opinion, I don't even worry about in my life. That's how, that's how much it is. Um, and I think the most important part for both the eating and the exercise side of things is scheduling it around your lifestyle and what makes sense the, the best for you. Um, because having the optimal eating time, the optimal workout time is awesome, but having a consistent eating time and a consistent workout time that you can consistently do for the long haul is a lot better and a lot more effective. And so if exercising at eight o'clock at night after you get done driving is the best time for you. Awesome. That's great. That's awesome. Do it. If it's right before, you know, if it's during your 30 minute break, Awesome. Let's get something. Let's do something. Let's go for a walk. Let's do some stretching. Let's, let's do some resistance band exercises or, you know, if it's in the morning or, or when it's, you know, if it's waiting, you know, for your next load or if it changes uh, day to day, that's okay. Um, I wouldn't worry too much about it. And I also wouldn't worry too much about, you know, the, I can't eat anything after 8 PM or I can't, you know, I, I have to eat, you know, X, Y, Z times throughout the day. Don't worry about it. You're adding way too many constraints and barriers that just make it seem even harder. And at this, for this stage and for a lot of people in general, you don't have to overcomplicate it. And I think that is one of the biggest things in the fitness industry that hurts people is there's so many rules that get set up um, where it just seems like, okay, this is easier just to not even think about it and not worry about it. So there, there are other ways to get fit than just diet, right? So, because I think diet is sort of has a negative connotation that comes around with it um, in a lot of respects, and and I don't think that's limited to any demographic period. So, but it sounds like what you're saying to me is, you know, just start somewhere and try to keep it consistent. If you fall off, hey, it's okay. Yeah. Try to get back on it. And, and use that to develop a relationship, a healthy relationship with exercise and, and, and food or whatever it may be. Is that am I on the right track with that? A hundred percent. And, you know, on the timing thing, you know, it, it goes back to the 24 Pepsis, right? I don't care if you drink 24 Pepsis at eight o'clock in the morning, 12 o'clock, you know, noon or at 12, you know, 12 o'clock uh, midnight at night it's not going to be healthy and it's not going to do, you know, the best thing for, for your health. Right. Um, and I think, you know, overcomplicating those things, like I said, is, is really, um, a deterrent for a lot of people and make it really more difficult. And, you know, there was a quote that we were talking about, uh, a couple of weeks ago from another podcast that you sent me over, which was, uh, awesome. And it was, you know, the man who loves to walk, will always walk further than the man who loves the destination. And I think that goes really well with, 
you know, on multiple parts of life, but specifically with the journey of trying to live a healthy life, um, where you're, when you're getting started and just in general, having the thought process in, in the mindset that, Hey, my health goes with me for the rest of my life, 24, seven, 365, wherever I go. And so from day one, what can we do to set it up for something that's realistic for the rest of my life and, uh, you know, fall in love with that journey of just being healthier. Um, right. And that what is being healthier is different depending on who you're talking to and what your goals are. And so you figuring out what that is and it's okay to shift and start smaller and building up over time. I think that is going to set you up for a lot more success than the person who's like, I need to weigh X pounds. I'm needing to get here by bikini season or by, you know, I've got a, you know, trip down to Florida on the beach or whatever it is. That person, not that that can be successful, not that that it can spark it. And maybe you have a goal like that. But if that person is only focused on that destination and that number on the scale or looking a certain way, um, I've just found in my, in my experience that it's, it's not the best approach starting day one with versus the person who's like, Hey, I'm just interested in, um, you know, doing this for the rest of my life and starting small and, and building into loving this lifestyle I'm trying to build. Fall in love with the process, not the result. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. That's, that, that's good stuff. So let's do this. Let's talk to the owners of companies um, who have employees and that could be drivers, independent contractors, or from any um, business operations within the supply chain period, right? So let me give you a moment and ask this question. What would you say to a company owner of, you know, a fleet of drivers or just employees in general about the benefits of investing into your employees for their health in regards to what that production level should look like? What should they see um, and why should they care about it as a result? Yeah, you know, I think the number one recruiting and retention tool that any company owner can have is investing in their drivers. Um, and I think it's something that gets overlooked. And I think there's, you know, honestly, I hate to say it, but there's a reason why this industry has a 90% turnover rate, right? And mm -hmm. something, some companies are doing really well and you can see it by the retention numbers and by some of the other stats and the way their drivers talk about it. And some companies are not. And I think one opportunity for drive for companies to have is start investing in the drivers. And the cool thing about health is that if you invest in your drivers, number one, it's an automatic brownie point win of wait a second. The drivers are like, hold on, my, my company's thinking about me outside of just where my next load's at. And they're, mm -hmm. they're trying to provide solutions for me. The other aspect on the behind the scenes of having healthier drivers behind the wheel is there's a huge ROI return on both retention and likelihood, a decrease in likelihood of turnover from a medical condition, from failing a DOT physical, from, uh, you know, engage lack of engagement and just kind of waiting for that next biggest signing bonus and jumping off because there's no relationship there. Um, there's also a huge um, return on mitigating risk of, you know, number one, I think there's a work comp claim uh, opportunity here and looking at minimizing the likelihood of a claim. 
increasing the likelihood of if there was a claim that they bounce back quicker so the cost per claim goes down. I think there's also a huge opportunity here if the company, if your company is self-insured or if your company is uh, paying for any percentage of healthcare costs, uh, there's a ton of drivers who are struggling from obesity, diabetes, prediabetes, hypertension, um, high cholesterol cholesterol, some of these other chronic conditions that we know drive up healthcare cost and is a direct money out of your pocket. And so a lot of these chronic conditions, a lifestyle change is an opportunity to either minimize the likelihood of one of those conditions affecting how much that's costing and also preventing some of the drivers who we have stats where a dr the longer a driver's in the trucking industry, the higher their likelihood of being obese um, sleep apnea, hypertensive, uh, diabetic, uh, dying early. There's the list goes on and on. And so, if we're not doing anything on a preventative side of things to mitigate the likelihood of one of those conditions for a driver who already has or has been diagnosed with one of those chronic conditions, minimizing the like likelihood of that causing uh, their ability to drive safely or their ability just on on medical costs or drivers who haven't been diagnosed, but are the longer they're in the industry are tiptoeing down that road or down that path, there's a huge cost there. Um, and, and I think there's a, there's a opportunity for you as a company to come in and, you know, sit, you know, aim a program in, Hey, we're doing this for you. We're trying to implement solutions. We know how tough it can be to be healthy and, you know, have, you know, health as a priority out there on the road. So we want to provide all the solutions as possible. And on the back end, there's a, there's multiple ROIs, um, that you can get long term from this. And so that would be my, uh, my, the conversation I'd have with companies and, you know, just, just really looking at it from both the human aspect and saying, Hey, doing the right thing for your drivers. But the bonus part about that is it'll also do the right thing for your uh, bottom line. Yeah. And, you know, as you're talking through that, um, Personally, I've got a family member who recently had to have heart surgery that was unexpected, who uh, wasn't taking care of their health and had, you know, uh, challenges with obesity and um, diabetic, et cetera. And the, the cost of the surgery was several hundred thousand dollars. And the thought afterward, afterwards was that money... If I would have invested in my own self starting at an earlier age. I would have had plenty left over that I wouldn't have spent if I would have just been investing in my own self, doing what I needed to be doing with food, exercise, et cetera. Because I think, and I bring that up because it's a lot about, you know, I correlate that to what you're talking about. And it seems that when someone says, well, it's more expensive to eat healthy or, I've got to pay for a membership to a gym. Mm -hmm. But if you look at it that way, it's preventative instead of reactive. And that's always a good investment. Right? So uh, I, I love what you were saying and, and the way you turned it around. And uh, I definitely agree. And uh, any anything else that you would say to an owner, because it sounds like you're saying, listen, benefits, you know, either hard or soft dollars, the ROI of a program like supply chain fitness can offer could be 
the driver or the employee, their, their quality of life, yeah. which is going to translate into less claims or smaller amounts, dollar amounts that go out, yep. retention. And then that can also use to help recruit, which as yep. we know, we're in a driver shortage, right? So how about using that as a tool for recruiting and just opening up the front door and closing the back by intentionally investing in the health of your drivers? So uh, that, that's sort of my summary out of everything you just said, but anything else that you would want to make sure an owner was aware of or someone who had the responsibility of having employees or independent contractors that operated on their dime, what else would you, would you mention it, if anything? The only other thing I would say is uh, healthier drivers are safer drivers as well. Uh, we're seeing in the industry way more nuclear verdicts happening where there's a lot of liability on an accident. And I've got a, a friend of mine who's a strategic advisor in supply chain fitness and a personal friend who is also the former president of the American Trucking Association. His uh, name's Billy Canary, and he's a lawyer by trade. And, you know, the first thing that he talked about uh, with me about, you know, when we were talking about health and wellness was, you know, from a liability standpoint, there's a, there's a lot of liability and opportunity to uh, the plaintiff attorneys to be like, hey, this is negligence you knew how unhealthy drivers were or the first thing that every single plaintiff attorney does when there's a commercial accident is look at the medical record and that's an opportunity for you to say yes we know this driver had xyz but we are offering and we're doing as much as we possibly can and just to come up and you know one of the biggest things when you're in that uh, uh in that opportunity is to have confidence and build credibility with your safety program and other initiatives at your company and i think if you come in and you can just be proud that hey yeah we also pay for this program health and wellness because we know in the industry it's really bad and we want to do everything we possibly can um uh, i think that's a huge uh chip on your shoulder when in the courtroom when talking to insurance companies about, you know, hey, uh, adjusting rates um, and also, you know, as a tool in the toolbox for your recruiters when they're talking to new driver leads. Yeah, I, I agreed. And, you know, the, the thing that's hard to measure from an underwriting perspective from the insurance is company culture, which yeah. is why they look at your claims, right? Because your claims are going to give some sort of indication, not total, right? There are a lot of other factors, but uh, I think you're spot on with that as well. And it's it's the company culture that, that provides the overall difference. So that's good stuff. So listen, this, at this point, I've got something for you that I call the TAP5, the Accelerated Podcast. The TAP5, five. all right. Last five. And these are five questions. And I'm gonna ask you in either one word or one sentence, um, give me a response. And if it goes beyond that, that's not a good one. So, okay. Um, the first one is what is the worst advice you've ever been given or received about fitness? I don't know about advice that I've been given, but I think. Or the... has anyone ever said to you about fitness in general? I think one of the craziest things is the people two part. Um, I'm going to give two part really quick here. One sure. is the people that have the sweat band around their stomach that they think that they, you know, the, the science 
quotations if you're listening to this around you can sweat out the fat by just wrapping a lot of clothes around it that that doesn't work um, that's not science and then two would be the people who have the theory around we have a finite amount of energy and if you exercise you're burning up your energy that's not how the human body works either uh, that's not how that works um so i would say those two people uh those two uh claims or, or thought processes can I say something about that last part, which is interesting? Yeah. So a few years ago, my five-year-old daughter, she was five at the time. We were sitting in the car talking about exercising and she was like, so you mean to tell me I need to burn energy to make energy? Yep. And I was like, at five years old, you know what I'm like? That's pretty. Well, yeah, that's. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, all right. So number two, what is the best fitness advice you've ever received or have been given? I would say you got to look at the science. You got to look at the evidence-based stuff. But at the end of the day, you have to look at what you can do consistently and what makes sense for your lifestyle because it being 80% evidence-based but 100% works in your life goes a lot further than a hundred percent evidence-based and perfect and it not sustainable. Ah, God, that's awesome. That's good stuff. Okay. All right. So the third question, when you work out, what do you listen to? Podcasts, podcasts and audiobooks. though not too many audiobooks because I like to take notes when I'm listening to audiobooks. So I typically stay with podcasts. And then if I'm really feeling it um, and I'm listening to music, it's, early 2000 slash uh, 2010 hip hop pop. Actually, Give me your go-to song. What's your go-to song? Go-to song. I like uh, Kid Cudi Day and Night. <laughs> That's awesome. Awesome. Uh, all right. So. No oh, Pitbull too. Pitbull too. I like Pitbull. There you go. Like <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh. Uh, what advice would you give your teenage self? Probably advice that I'd give myself today. Uh, it'll all work out. You'll figure it out. Uh, just keep going at it and, uh, nice. don't be afraid to make some mistakes. Just kind of, nice. uh, figure it out in the moment. And a lot of people get further by going for it than waiting for the perfect moment to figure it out because you'll never actually find the answer if you keep waiting. Oh man, that's good stuff. All right. So last one is probably the most important. So who is your all time favorite professional wrestler? Oh man, you're catching me because uh, I'll be honest, wrestling is not in my go-to. Uh, I'm not a okay. big wrestling fan. Uh, well, then we'll, we'll flip it. Let's just, let's do baseball team or baseball players, since which you may have already. Uh, given yeah. Our pools. Yeah. I mean, you can't really argue with that. I mean, even this year has been like a crazy year for St. Louis fans of just him hitting his 700th home run. Him, you know, him and Yadier Molina going through kind of everyone knew they were going to be, uh, you know, him even coming back to the Cardinals and then both of them kind of going through and, you know, doing their, you know, hooray parade around the whole world, you know, the whole MLB of, you know, this is their last year. And so it was really cool to watch in St. Louis. You know, uh, it, it was cool because 
you know, you had people when Albert was leaving to go to uh, the Angels for this big contract who was putting his jersey in fire pits and burning it because we all hated that he took, you know, an extra 10 million or whatever or for, to go to the Angels. And so, you know, to see the love that we still had, even though we were, ang you know, the whole city was angry when he first left, it was, it was bittersweet and it was cool that he was retiring as a Cardinal. That's awesome. Well, okay, so there's a bonus question since I kind of let you get away with number five, right? What is your favorite bad dad joke? Okay. Um, is uh, is your refrigerator running today? Um, yeah. You better go catch it. There you go. Oh, <laughs> yes. Nice. Awesome. Awesome. Listen, tell everyone how they can connect with you. Where can they find you? How can they get in touch with you if they need to? Yeah, Supply Chain Fitness on any social media. We're big on TikTok. We're big on LinkedIn um, and, and any social media out there uh, and supplychainfitness.com. If you're on LinkedIn, you can connect with me at uh, Dr. Mark Manera or um, just look up Mark Manera and you can figure, uh, find me. Um, and and uh, yeah, reach out, connect, say hi. And uh, yeah, uh, I, I'd love to talk. Awesome. Well, thank you for your time. It was a pleasure. Thank everyone who is listening with us today. We definitely appreciate it. If you're on Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star review, drop a comment on any other platform, share this episode so you can help others outrun normal as well. Thanks, everybody, and we will see you next time. Thanks so much for having me.